welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Chris Brown. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net. Ever been underprepared for something like exams? Does anyone remember school? Oh, it's a bit of a fog. I just oh the HSC. I just did not enjoy that at all. Some people are built for it and study hard and have the maturity in their teen years, but a lot of blokes, particularly myself included, we just oh man, just a bad feeling going into an exam when you haven't prepared and studied. Or maybe you've got a prep a presentation you've got to do at work or at uni and you're winging it because you just didn't do the research and you get caught out. Or even just at home, catering can be a drama. You know, it's like, oh, who's coming? How many people? We didn't get the food. The table's not set. Oh, go. And then ding dong. Hi, we're early. It's like, what? They're early. I hate it when they're early. Hi. It's like, why are they early? Don't they have any manners, you know? Come in. We haven't swept the floor yet. Quick, quick, quick. You know, it's, um, you know and, uh, and so all walks of life, of course, sport, nothing worse than getting out there and you're out of shape or out of form or you're not mentally ready for the game. And so as a result, when you're not prepared, things go really badly. You can get injured, embarrassed, flustered, anxious. You can fail badly. Conversely, however, when you're well prepared, ha-ha, things can go really well. You can pass the exam. You know, you can actually ah, do a good job of presenting that thing at work that you had to do. Uh, The dinner party can be a great success and you can do well on the sporting field and all that. In the last few weeks, I have been um, uh, observing and benefiting from great preparation in one of the local schools just up the road here at St Phillips. We had one of the teachers here playing bass. Got a couple of teachers around in here. Uh, And I have been asked to fill in because I was originally a teacher and occasionally over the years I've helped out with some casual teaching at St Philip's uh, over 27 years on and off, um, been quite a few years since the last time but in the last few weeks they've had COVID related you know, issues, teachers are sick or having to isolate and so they've needed some help. And so I've gone up there and taught infants, which I hadn't done since the 80s, so that was just doing my head in. Um, and at one point, uh, Nikki came to pick up her kids uh, in the afternoon and I dived in the back of the car and said, get me out of here. And uh, Bethany was on bus duty. She said, Dad, get out of the car. You can't do that, you know. Because um, a day with infants, I mean, they're just wonderful and so exhausting, you know, like putting the hand up for every little thing. Oh, you know, you just can't believe it. And there's and some of the kids here, you know, they're, they're, they're little Jennifer and I've taught some of these kids and it's great. And I'll tell you what's great is the preparation the teachers have done for the casuals. Because back in the day, like in the early 80s when I first started teaching, I did casual because there was no full-time jobs in Sydney at the time. They had a glut of teachers. So you're just riding all over Sydney, picking up work wherever you can. Uh, and uh, and you'd go in there, and um, it, it was if you're lucky, you might find the teacher's day book with a rough outline. But normally, it was just thrown into 35 wild kids who were ready to go because they knew we got a casual. 
There's not going to be any long-term consequences here. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right, name, Methuselah. Oh, yeah, right, sure. What's your name? My name's Tom. <laughs> no, that's Tom over there. Oh, okay. So we're doing that, are we? Fake, false names, you know. And, uh, and then, what, all right, well, kids, what do we normally do today? Oh, it's Tuesday. It's sport all day, sir. It's like, yeah, right, thank you, you know. Oh, boy. Uh, Redfern Primary in the early 80s. I've got to tell you, I did regular casual days there. Kids jumping out windows. Kids wanting to stab me with scissors. It was all on. And um, they weren't the infants. They were the older ones. But, uh, oh, anyway, I'm, I'm having a bit of a moment now. It's triggering, triggering. But anyway, here we are. I'm okay. Because up the road here, you rock up. And the teachers have got this day all sorted for you. They've even got the links to the videos. You ha- half the day you're just pressing a button, watching this guy doing, hey, we're counting to 10. You know, you know who I'm talking about? Who's that guy? Well, give me five, give me 10. You've got this corny sort of dad American guy, you know, looking like a funny PE teacher, jumping around and the kids go, yeah, and they all know the song and they love it. Plus one day I was team teaching with my own daughter. How cool is that? I got put on year one and Bethany's right next door. And so she's like, well, you want to combine for the next lesson? Sure, take it away. And she's the old man's just doing as he's told. She runs the art lesson. It was awesome. And anyway, they, they were just great. And I just wanted to give a shout out to the teachers up there who are, you know, Katie and Tim and Bethany and you know, I've forgotten someone. But anyway, yeah, give all the... Uh, 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 Brad, uh, uh, anyone else? I'm forgetting. Anyway, give all the teachers in the world a clap, please, you know. Martin's a teacher. Anisha. Oh, there you are, right there. See, I knew I'd forget someone. All right. Okay, and, and you and the other teachers, right? There's quite a few, right? So, uh, preparation. Speaking of preparation, Easter is coming. And of course, we're considering how we're preparing for it with our Road to Freedom series. And of course, you're going to buy Easter eggs. You're hopefully going to come to church, if only for the free hot cross buns, although hopefully for more important reasons to worship and honour God. Um, but the question I want to ask this morning is how are you preparing in your heart? What's going on inside as you come to this event that remembers the greatest act of love the world's ever seen? Uh, Now, of course, in some traditional churches, they observe Lent. You may have heard of Lent. You may know all about it. I certainly wasn't brought up in church at all. So I've sort of picked up a few of these things over the years, but haven't practiced this as some churches do. 40-day period where some people are fasting, preparing, leading up to Easter. It's thought that it began in the early church when some believers were going to be baptised at Easter so they would have 40 days preparing by fasting for that and then it was more broadly adopted by the church and in the Roman church they began doing public penance and so they'd wear sackcloth and they'd sprinkle ash on their head and hence we have this term Ash Wednesday which begins the 40 days of Lent Um, and of course none of that's in the Bible so it's not necessary for us to follow uh, man-made rules and regulations. So you've got to work your way through that. You don't need to, as I said. What is important, as I mentioned, is that we prepare in our hearts for Easter uh, before God. I tell you what does appeal to me when I was reading up about this is Shrove Tuesday. Maybe you, some, of, some of you might know what Shrove Tuesday is all about. I'd heard that term over the years, had no idea until I read that it involved pancakes I thought, well, that sounds good. So apparently, to prepare for Ash Wednesday and a period of fasting, you had to get rid of all the rich food in the house so you weren't tempted, which included eggs, which they used to make 
pancakes. And so apparently that's still traditionally eaten on Shrove Tuesday. We've missed out. It must have been a few weeks ago. Uh, fun fact, it's also known as Fat Tuesday. I don't know where. I've never heard that, but somewhere. And um, apparently the French phrase for Fat Tuesday is Mardi Gras. Maybe you knew that, but there you go. I didn't know that, so there you go. That's what, uh, Anyway, back to the Bible. So in the Gospels, turn to Matthew 20, we see how Jesus was preparing for the very first Easter, for the persecution, the suffering, the sacrificial death that awaited him. And here's a passage, and it's entitled, if you might have this in your Bible, Matthew 20, I'm going to read from the New Living Translation, verse 17, that section is entitled, Jesus again predicts his death. So he had started speaking quite plainly about what was going to come for the disciples' benefit. And it says, as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside privately and told them what was going to happen to him. Listen, he said, we're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man, so he's talking, himself, talking about himself in the third person, but they know who he means himself, the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. They will sentence him to die. Then they will hand him over to the Romans to be mocked, flogged with a whip and crucified. But on the third day, he will be raised from the dead. This is all prophesying and predicting accurately and specifically what was going to happen in advance. And then we read, Then the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus with her sons. She knelt respectfully to ask a favour. What is your request? Jesus asked. She replied, In your kingdom, meaning when you fulfil your kingdom in the future, please let my two sons sit in place of honour next to you, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus answered by saying to them, You don't know what you are asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink? Oh, yes, they replied. We are able. So we assume that's James and John. So the mum's speaking on their behalf, but they're present. Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup, but I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. My father has prepared, prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. When the 10 other disciples heard that James and John had asked what they had asked, they were indignant. (sighs) But Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lorded over people. Officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Okay, I want to draw two main things from that passage, but but before I do, maybe three things, because the first one really stands out is how human nature rears its ugly head. You notice Jesus talking about his suffering and his death And you see the very first and only recorded response to what he's saying. It's not, oh Lord, no, 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 please, what are you talking about? We can't imagine you being, why would they do that? What can we do to stop this? Where's Peter? We don't, Jesus, you're talking about suffering and dying. No, none of that. 
it's straight to what's in it for me, isn't it? The very first reaction is James and John, maybe goaded by mum or goading mum, or, or, but the three of them, it seems, with her doing the main talking, going straight to, okay, you're going to die. That all right, sorry, sorry about that, but sorry for your loss. But anyway, when you raise from the dead, let's go straight to that bit because we've heard about this future kingdom. What's in it for me? Can we have these positions of honour? Isn't that like a classic? And and of course, you read yourself into so many of these situations when you do a bit of soul searching because you think, wow, how easily in many situations do I focus on me, on what's in it for me? Someone shows a family photo, who do you look at? Oh no, look, my eyes are closed. Oh, you know, it's this lovely photo, but you go, oh, that's a bad photo. No, it's only a bad photo. You, every, the 20 other people, it's fine. So overall, it's okay. But oh, don't look at me. My, how come I didn't get the angle? You know, it's not my good side. You know, so we, we really think about ourselves, sadly, a little too much. And what a classic situation. This would be one time when they read that later, and thanks a lot, you know, Matthew, for recording that bit. It's not in John's gospel because he's one of those guys. You don't see John writing that down, does it? But Matthew goes, oh, no, it really happened. And it's the Holy Spirit. He's, he's, he, I'm just the scribe. Sorry, guys, there it is. Oh, fair dink, really? Did you have to put that in? Oh, you know, I mean, there were some other good moments, James and John, you know, hey, what about, why did you have to put that one in? Well, I think we, if we were walking around with Jesus for a few years, sadly, there'd be a few stories where you'd be like, oh, that makes for bad reading for me, but that's just the way it was, you know. But given that, uh, I wanted you to notice two main things, that Jesus talking about how he was prepared for what was before him and see how they relate to us. And the first one is, of course, his willingness to suffer. He is not shying away from what he knows is going to happen to him. He's fully aware. He's the Son of God. He's perfect. He doesn't need any of this. He's come from heaven, oh, not in all his glory, not the way it's going to be at the end of time where he is just awesome and every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess. That's in the future. But that's not what happened. Not every tongue was confessing and not every knee was bowing. Quite the opposite, you know. He was mixing it with the buffhead disciples. That was the best that he had. He had, you know, persecution and it was worse coming. You know, he could, he, and he's telling them about it. Read it again. Listen, we're going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be betrayed to the leading priests. He doesn't even get that specific. We know one of them is going to, he's going to later on say on the Last Supper who it was. One of you, believe it or not, is going to betray me. And he says, they'll, they'll sentence me. Uh, to die, they'll hand, I'm changing the um, tense, case, tense, from from third person to, you know, because he's using third person, thank you, case, yes, so he's effectively saying, they're going to hand me over to the Romans to be mocked and flogged with a whip, and then I will be crucified, and on the third day I will be raised from the dead. You know, we often talk about becoming more like Jesus. I just want to be more Christ-like, don't you? Just in every way. Oh, you know, there's a million songs and hymns, you know. Let us be more like him. Less of me and more of you, Lord. And, you know, we just emulate John the Baptist. and we They're great phrases, but what does that mean? And what does it look like? Well, part of it means being prepared to suffer. Because you've probably heard this wonderful verse in Romans 8. 
verse 16 says, The Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Look at that. What a great verse. Look at the next bit. If we are God's children, then we are heirs. Wow. Heirs of God. Co-heirs with Christ. Okay, just stop it there. Oh, all right. Must we? Okay. But if we are to share His glory, we must also share His suffering. Wow. Wow. One translation puts it the other way and says, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. They go together. One's, one's almost, it's like a prerequisite to the glory, the suffering. Now, of course, Jesus was going to suffer a lot more than any of us. But in that context, he's pointing out to James and John that they would also share in his sufferings in their own way because they said, he said, you don't know what you're asking. You're gonna, are you prepared to drink this cup of suffering? That he's using a metaphor. Uh, and of course, they say, oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, of course. He says, well, actually, you will. But that's beside the point. I've got another lesson to teach you, which we get onto. But, you know, tradition tells us that almost all the disciples were martyred. In other words, killed, murdered, crucified, or executed in some other way because of their faith. In fact, John, one of the two there, was the only one who was said to die a natural death. But even that was on a remote island, exiled away from family and friends, uh, having been persecuted for his faith his whole life. So they really did drink that bitter cup of suffering. And of course, we're unlikely to suffer, certainly not as much as Jesus and not even as much as these guys, (sighs) certainly or very likely, shall I say, not to be martyred. Um, But the armoury of any truly strong, fervent, real Christian should include a willingness and ability to suffer at whatever level may come. And, uh, you know, like all things in life, you need balance because some Christians have gone down this road where they're basically looking for a life of suffering because they think that that's more godly. They almost make up suffering. They do sometimes. And they assume that the Christian life is meant to be miserable because the more miserable I am, somehow the more spiritual I will be. And so the Christian life should, you know, forget all this happy clappy business. Oh, that's shallow. You want to get deep. Joy is deep. Happiness, that's shallow. And so joy is so deep, you you can't actually find it because it's overwhelmed by all the suffering of life. And so we just live with this, you know, countenance of, what is it, somehow more, the the idea that has crept into Christendom over many, many years in some circles has been that if you're somehow sad and suffering, you're somehow more spiritual. Because that's not God's will. You know, that's not true. Um, But on the other hand, you can have some extremists who embrace the concept of blessing and prosperity so much that suffering is the S word. You know, we just don't have any theology for it. We can't cope with it. We don't want to talk about it. And if there's any problem that comes into your life, you just bind the devil and close your ears and eyes and hope that it goes away eventually. And and it just can't be God's will. You know, and and so of course, in the middle is a balance where we are blessed. God's got a wonderful life for us, but suffering is part of the course at times. And some suffering can actually be good for us 
because it forces you to evaluate what's going on in your life rather than just la-di-da, tip throw through the, through the tulips. Uh, Tiny Tim reference, if you're old enough. Uh, wasn't he great? Anyway, um, you know, uh, you've got sometimes some issues that smack you in the face, but it's, it's a wake-up call, as they say, and, then that, and that can be good. For example, COVID has been a very difficult time for many people uh, over the last two years, but there is some good that is coming out of it, according to McCrindle Research. This is an Australian organisation, and they've published only a few months ago the results of a nationwide survey um, that they did um, that r- revealed some positives. Uh, they said this. All right, excuse me. The time has come. I'm sadly. I'm fighting it every week. I'm staring at these blur of words, and I'm sort of winging it, making it up as if I'm reading. I'm right now. The glasses. There. See, babe. I'm joining the club. <sighs> wow! Look at you. You look great. <laughs> You've just been all these blobs of colour. Wow. Oh, it's not pink, it's orange. Oh, right. No, okay. Um, okay. It makes no difference. You're still, actually, you're worse, but this is, this is heaps better. Wow. Hang on, I didn't say any, that. Wow, that wasn't in my, forget the whole first half of the sermon. That was, I was just making it up. But wow, there's some really good stuff here. I'll, you'll have to, I'll send it to you. Right. Here, this is what the research said. The experience of COVID-19 is creating a new context where many Australians are experiencing a renewed spiritual search. During the pandemic, almost half of Australians, 47%, have thought more about the meaning of life or their own mortality. Thought more about it than normal. A third of Australians, 33%, have thought more about God and 28% are praying more because of COVID. Now, if you don't die of it, then I think that's good. Right, because if like me, if you had the flu for a couple of days and it's like, oh, flip, that's COVID, I got a sore throat. <gasps> but if it made you pray more, then bring it on. Maybe not bring it on, but we'll work with it. You know what I'm saying? A silver lining of COVID 19 has been the reprioritization within many Australians' lives. The focus has shifted from materialism to people and community. Four in five Australians, 79%, agree that COVID-19 has strengthened their relationships. Over half of Australians, 53%, value a strong local community more than they did three years ago. This is a good thing because I know a strong local community. It's not the RSL, it's the church. And there's some pseudo-churches and people, you know, have all kinds of communities and the best is the church. Three in four Aussies, 76% of Australians believe that the churches in their local area are making a positive difference to their community. You want to take that on board when you're sharing your faith or letting people know that you're a Christian. Don't assume that they're about to bite your head off and think, oh, you're one of those people that only want your money. You know, three quarters of Australians think, well, good for you. That's a good thing. You're involved in helping people's lives, and you are. And then it leads on, 65% of Australians were likely to say yes to an invitation to church. Come on. That's two out of three. So you go out there and invite, all right, take, you know, one knock back, but two will say yes. And so I, I think this is a great day of opportunity for the gospel, for us to reach people. So we should be clear and confident in our witnessing, sharing our faith and enthusiastic about inviting people to church. 
But don't get too excited. Back to suffering. Because, we're talk- remember, we're talking about suffering. So get that smile off your face. <laughs> because you will, it's not if, it's when, uh, you know, you will face some problems or possible persecution for your faith if you're serving the Lord. But you can rejoice because, look, it's in the tough times that your prayer life increases. Really. You know, you press into God's presence more when things are down and things are against you. And I'll be honest with you, I have had some challenges in serving the Lord. <laughs> you know, Ruth and I get up here every Sunday, smile away, it's awesome, and it is. And sometimes it's really tough because, you know, you carry the burden of trying to help people with their issues and you, you face some criticism that's really unfair and unjust sometimes and you get opposition and how long have you got? Can, we have, can I have a chair? Can I lie down and just start? But, you know, the point is that I've had my share of angst and anguish in serving the Lord, but I found it always works out for good. There's a verse about that. Uh, because in those difficult times... I've turned to God. I've found my uh, relationship with Him stronger. My faith has got stronger and I've been purified in the fire, so to speak. And so it's all good, as they say. And they also say this, no pain, no gain. And that's a truism. You know that on the sporting field. In fact, you don't even feel the pain on the sporting field. When you are in the throes of the match and you take a knock, it's all good. It's okay. You, you, you get... You know, you've got your eye on the end game. I mean, back in the day, back in the day, you know, I played rugby. When I first started the church, I would play on Saturday, preach on Sunday, and I had to learn to limp on both legs because I was in my 30s and I was playing first grade and there's some great big tough guys that are just smashing you and and it was great. <sighs> But then, and you wouldn't feel a thing on the Saturday. You're just in the adrenaline and all that. And then you'd wake up and you go, babe, I can't go to church. I can't move. Ah, oh, that hurts. Oh, oh, this leg's sore. Well, oh, that one's too, you know. And I remember distinctly getting up to preach thinking, I hope I don't look too weird. I'm trying not to limp. Oh, yeah. Morning, church. Oh, wow, it's killing me, you know. And so, but you don't care. You don't notice. And you know, contact sport people, you know that feeling. You go through pain, you want to run long distance or you do triathlons or whatever you might be into, you know, there's some pain, oh, but it's all good. It's awesome because you've got something more important than the pain. You've got a goal in mind and there's, well, the glory of sports, one thing, but hey, the Bible says in Hebrews 2, Jesus put up with the pain because of the, because of the joy waiting for him, he endured the cross. And he, it says, and he despised the shame. He was like, I don't care about the pain. I'm seeing the end game. I see the result. I, I know we're going to win. And so life can be a little bit like you're out on the playing field. In fact, more than that, the Bible tells us it's a battle. It's like on the battlefield and you can get shot at and you can get hurt and you can suffer, but that's okay because you're, you're doing something wonderfully important in following and serving the Lord. Yeah? And so it's all good as they say. Uh, The second attitude that we see in Jesus as he prepared for the cross that we can emulate is his willingness to serve. It says, um, uh, Jesus called them together, verse 25, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people 
and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. And you know, Jesus, he had already, uh, he practised what he preached. He had already demonstrated the, the heart of the servant because he was, you know, he was happy to serve with his whole life towards them. Um, and, uh, and, and he loved it. You know, at one point they came to him, he's really hungry, he's busy, hadn't eaten for a long time, and they came to him and said, Lord, you want, let's get some food, we need some food. And I would have been at the front of the line. I would have been like, yes, come on, I'm getting hangry, Lord, we don't want that, come on. And, and you know that feeling. Some of you, I know Janelle, you know, went away with the girls uh, and of course they were in the city and Ruth often gets by without breakfast and so do the others. And Janelle was getting, te- I wish I was there. I've never seen Janelle Tetchy. You know, she's like sweet, mild, works in the office. Good morning. You know, that's, well, that's because she's had breakfast. But then the city that morning, apparently, they were like, oh, we're going to go to the conference. She's like, what, what do you mean? Where's breakfast? Oh, no, we'll do food later. We, we, no, we've got to find breakfast. And Ruth's like, oh, Janelle had a thing about breakfast. It's like, yeah, because she's normal, babe. You've got to get breakfast in you. And so, that, and she said, "Oh, and then we had to, you know, race around to find some cafe." And Janelle was, you know, really quite I'm like, "Go, Janelle!" Yes. <laughs> so, I did, John, just as a, on a Sunday, you just got where's John? You get rid of all the food out of the house, you know, and just bring Janelle to church. I want to see you hungry. See you hangry, right? And, then I'll, and I'll get her to do communion. Morning, church. Where's the communion? Give me some of that bread. <laughs> um. So, but you know, they came to Jesus and they said, Lord, aren't you getting hungry? We're all getting hungry. And he says, classically, um, I've got food. You don't know, you, you don't know what, what I mean. And like, what, what, he, says, the, he says, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me and to complete my mission. So he's talking about a, a more important food than food. And how important is, is, is food? Not, Natural food, physical food. He's talking about this spiritual sustenance in doing the work of God, in serving God. Serving God is satisfying. That's what he was saying. It's, it's nutritious. It's, it's nourishing. It's satisfying. Ha! Huh, and you know that feeling, hopefully, where you've served the Lord, you've blessed people, you've worked hard. Ha! Oh, and you might be hungry physically, you might be tired, ah, but your soul is satisfied. It's like, oh, that's a good feeling. Wow, like having a great meal. You know that feeling? Great meal. Great gelato. Thank you to the Ashby's. Gave me some gelato for my birthday. Oh, you know, when you just eat that gelato. Well, speaking of gelato, well, I'm riding around Tasmania with these guys. And Ruth and, I, no, Ruth and I had been driving in Tasmania. We found this gelato place in the middle of nowhere. Little town, nowhere. But they've got this brand new gelato shop. That was awesome, run by an Italian guy and his partner. They had only just opened, so I'm all into oh, I support local business, but you know, gelato is great too. So I had my gelato there, and then I rejigged the motorbike route because I was in charge. So I said, All right, guys, we're not going that way. Why? We're going to this town. Why? Oh. And we got, we got there at like 10 o'clock. I thought, That's morning tea. It's late enough for gelato. And they're like, What? So it was worth it though. Uh, and so. You know, you, you get that feeling if you're into something, you know, maybe it's not gelato for you, but you get some satisfaction in your soul, in your spirit from serving. And, you know, some people sadly think serving is part of suffering. 
They think, oh, serving God, oh, imagine, oh, having to be on a roster or doing something for God or going as a missionary somewhere or laying down everything and, you know, losing my life for doing what God says. It is a road to blessing. It is not suffering. It is awesome. And the, here's the great irony. It's just that it's God's way to blessing. It's God's way to what we're really designed for. It's God's way to our best life ever. But if but we don't think that up front. If you you know, if you're often looking at the options, my way or his way, figuring out my own life or just letting it all go and let God tell me later. I think I'll sort it out myself. Ah. But if we have the faith in God to just lay it down and surrender everything, we end up with a much better life. And you know, that's it's right there because Jesus, look at that word different in that passage. He says, look, in the world, it's obvious, everyone wants to you know, be in charge, have everything their way, sort it all out for themselves. Yeah, yeah. He says, but among you, it should be different, different. And I read that and I think, I should ask myself, how different is my outlook and approach to life than the world around me? Is it really any different? Because if it's not any different, then am I really serving the Lord? Am I really doing things His way? Or am I just tacking the Christian tag along a very selfish life and doing things my way and it's not different at all? But He says, it'll be different. If you follow me, it'll be different. And then He tells them how. Because He says, you know, in, in the world, well, it's all about chasing after what suits me and in leadership, it's, you know, seeking power or influence over other people. He says, no, no, no. If you want to do it my way, you lay your life down and you're serving others. And he says, even I, the Son of Man, came to serve and not to be served. So I think that creates some good questions for us to ask ourselves because the gospel isn't Jesus will come and make your life better, is it? That's what it's been sold as sometimes. Oh yeah, Jesus, just give your life to Jesus and invite him in and he'll just sort of come alongside you and and bless you and and help you, and it's going to be great. The gospel starts with, you've got a big problem, and it's called sin. Oh, that's not a very popular concept, yeah, yeah, but it's the truth. And then you've got to repent. Well, it's even less popular concept, you know. And, and that's okay, because it just means turning to God. And then laying your life down, surrendering, losing everything. Well, that really doesn't sound very appealing at all. But that's the gospel, isn't it? That's, that's how it works. And then, of course, Jesus says, you get a great life. You lose your life, then you'll find it. Then it starts happening for you. But it, but it is involved. It's, it's a, it's a commitment and a mindset and a lifestyle paradigm, if you like, of serving rather than being served. Let me finish with one last verse, because a, a little earlier Matthew records Jesus saying these words. Uh, he gets his disciples. Uh, Matthew sixteen verse twenty four. There it is. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways and take up your cross and follow me. Well, of course, that was spoken before he had gone to the cross, but he was starting to tell them that he was going to the cross. They all knew what a cross was. It was a popular, common Roman method of execution. So we don't have that in our society and we don't have any you know, capital punishment, but in some countries still, or back in the day, you know, it would have been, you take, get your noose, because we had hangings, you know, and, uh, you know, or strap yourself in, 
to the electric chair. That's, you know, you may as well get a little gold electric chair, you know, hanging around your necklace, if you like, because for them, that was just the, the image was, wow, public execution. And Jesus talking about this saying, what do you mean take up my cross? I, I mean, I've heard you talk about taking up the cross and that's, that's, that's not cool, but, but you're talking about me as well. Yes, but it's the road to life, isn't it? We die to ourselves. And how fitting is that when we prepare for Easter? Because we see Jesus going to the cross, but we have the choice whether we will go to the cross and follow him. But of course, as we follow him through death to self, we are raised to new life, yeah? We are given this wonderful resurrected life from God. His empowerment, his direction, his blessing, so much better than doing it on our own. So it's all good, whether we're suffering, whether we're committing to serve, it's God's way. It's the good way, yeah? And it's the road to freedom. Praise him. All right, let's pray. Hallelujah. We thank you, Lord, for your ways, different, higher than our ways. And we want to we want to understand them, tap into them, lean into them, follow them. And we want to uh, we want to have that that tenacity, that ability, that strength of character to really be prepared to suffer for you and to serve other people and to follow you, Lord Jesus, taking up our own cross. We thank you for the great life that you give as a result. And I pray for that revelation, that realisation on everyone here today. You know, just as we're seated before God, I want to just make sure that every one of us knows him, follows him, has Jesus and his life living in your heart. If you don't know him personally, you want to give your life to Christ, then I want to encourage you to come and talk to me after the service, just right here at the front. Or even if you've got any questions about the Christian faith, or if you want to recommit your life into God's hands, maybe you've followed Him, but you know you need to come back to Him. Come and talk to me. Or someone else around here that you may know who is following Jesus and can pray with you and encourage you. Thank you, Lord God. We look forward to Easter and the the, the, the whole the message that you bring to our lives of brand new life. Thank you, Lord. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.